It's time for Cofield and Company. We can't win the National Football League each and every week on emotions. We'll get burnt out. Now it comes back to what football's all about. The execution, fundamentals, technique, doing your job, you know, maintaining like that winning stamina, you know, that purpose. And just, again, as simple as it is, just do your job. You know, we don't need the extra stuff. That will come with us playing well. It's Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, Cofield and Company here on a Wednesday. Very busy Wednesday as uh, we've got a bunch of shows on ESPN Las Vegas and a basketball game tonight. A lot of it UNLV related. Of course, Cofield and Company up until uh, 5.30. We'll cut out a little early. We've got the Barry Odom radio show going down over at Parkway Tavern on 215, on Flamingo off at 215. That's 530 to 630 and right into the running Rebel warm-up with John Sandler and Curtis Terry live at the Thomas and Mac as they open the season. Little shorthanded. We'll explain why they're shorthanded. Little shorthanded against Southern. Game today. Game at the Thomas and Mac on Saturday against Stetson. And then they hit the road. So we'll get into all the run Rebel details as we uh, do a quick preview of the season. DeMond will give his season win total, and we'll go from there uh, 5 o'clock into the Odom show and into the game. So, yeah, it's a Wednesday. Hump day, right? Nice. That's not a speech. Nice comments there from Antonio Pierce. When he's been in front of the mic, DeMond, what do you think? A little more inspiring than uh, Josh McDaniels? 1,000% 1,000% he's more inspiring, but it's also with what Raider Nation wants and a little bit of what they need when it comes from the Raider way. You hear that all the time. So I think that he's provided not only this team, but their fan base of what they expect from a head coach. I like it so far. He's not a mope. He's not uh, anti-fans uh, via the media, anti-media. You know, McDaniels always seemed like uh, everyone was kind of bothering him. So... They can't. Uh, fans want dudes coaching the organization who are a little enthusiastic, and uh, Pierce certainly brings that. And he's going to have to do, you know, a bang up job to get this job, or maybe be considered for a head coaching job down the road. So we got Raiders coming up. We got Thursday night football on the way back. So I know you're fired up about Justin Fields uh, showing up this week. So that's cool. Um, I wanted to start out today, though. And by the way, we will get to a little baseball later on. But I wanted to start out today talking about some awards that have been handed out. Talking about the wide receiver position, right? So we've got one of the best wide receivers in the world in Devontae Adams here in town for now. The Jets apparently made a run at him right before the uh, trade deadline. Also in town, we've got an emerging star in UNLV's Ricky White, who just got added to the watch list for the Bolitnikoff Award, which is pretty cool, right? One of the top 30 or 40 best wide receivers in the country. He's been probably a top 15 receiver the last three weeks as he's blown up. He's on his way to 1,000 yards. He's averaging 98.2 yards per game. He's got 55 catches, a boatload of touchdowns. So nice honor 
And for UNLV football, they've had some stars on the team, but they haven't had four or five guys who could be considered for national honors and, more important, or more accurately, all Mountain West Conference. And they've got five or six guys, like I said. Ricky White. They've actually got two guys who could be considered for special teamer of the year. Really three. Although I think Marshall Nichols is a little behind a couple other punters in the conference, but Jacob DeJesus, the returner, and also Jose Pisano, who's been outstanding. Hasn't kicked as many field goals of late because the Rebels have been going gaga, scoring touchdowns. You got defensive players. Now, two of their best guys got hurt, so they're not going to log a full 12-game season. They'll probably turn in more like seven or eight in Jonathan Baldwin and Jerry Williams. Jackson Woodard, the linebacker, he'll be considered for all league honors, and, and Ricky White certainly will be a, a top candidate if he keeps going for all Mountain West. First team at wide receiver, I think Tiger Shanks at right tackle might get some consideration. This hasn't happened for a long time. Hell, if they win this game coming up, we're talking 20-plus years since they've won eight games. So, very cool. Awesome bounce-back story, revitalization. Now, speaking of that, I'm going to bring in my XFL expert. Did you ever get to talk to Martavis Bryant? No, didn't have that pleasure. He had uh, 14 catches for 158 yards. I think people remember him. He was with the Steelers. Well, he has signed with the Cowboys. He's 31 years old now. He's been away from the NFL forever. And the reason, one of the dumber reasons to ever be suspended for. And I'm not putting it on the player, although rules are rules in the past. I'm putting it on the NFL. The weed. The weed. I wanted to send this in for one of my stories, but I was like, who cares? No offense. What I wanted to say is, over under catches that he has, if he suits up for the Cowboys, 10. I said, maybe that's even too high. You want to bet it? Do you want to bet it? Oh, sure. (laughs) I thought it would be one of those. Not only is it not that interesting, but I just don't think he's going to see the field that much. But it's a cool comeback story and a a tale of kind of screwing up your career by not having enough discipline. Is it cool? Who's it cool to? It's a good good comeback story. And it just shows how you could potentially ruin your career. I mean, I think the NFL rules on weed are just completely ridiculous, but the guy freaking fumbled away his career because he was – you know, jerking around and, and couldn't stay a little disciplined. And the other reason I care is this isn't – Martavis Bryant is a reminder of why the Raiders are where the Raiders are. And while the Raiders have had some good draft picks, have had some good personnel moves, they haven't had enough of them over the last now three regimes, right? If you want to go back to the original Gruden regime, then go to Gruden and Mayock, and then move on to Josh and Dave – 2018, John Gruden, Raiders trade for Martavis Bryant, third-round pick. Wow. That one will hurt you for a while. And they've had a lot of third-round picks and second-round picks who have been El Stinko, first-round picks of poor value or just absolute flops. And, again, that's why they're in the middle of the pack is their their core. I mean, 2018 is not that long ago, but if you blow that many picks and then you piss one away with a third-round pick for Martavis Bryant – then you don't have a core. You don't have a core that's been around for seven or eight years with a bunch of good players. 
Yeah, we see that with, like you said, with the way the roster is constructed. I know a lot, a lot of people like to go back to, I want, what's that, the 2019 draft, where you can say, oh, they, they've got, they drafted Jacobs, Abram, and then Clee Farrell all in the first round, and only one of those guys is on the team, and then you got Jacobs, who's a running back, where a lot of people say you shouldn't have drafted a running back in the first round, no matter what. So you can't. That's basically three misses on first round picks right there alone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they've dug themselves in this hole. And it's not so much that it's a hole where they're desperate because if like if you listen to Adam Hill, they they would love to be finish the season two and fifteen. They've dug themselves in a hole of mediocrity, and they can't get out of it. And it's the worst place to be. More on the Raiders in uh, we'll say fifteen minutes. We got a VGK game coming up, and they've been on fire. Uh, Kings have reemerged as a rival because the Kings are pretty good, and Jim Fox, who's the analyst for a long time and a former L.A. King himself, is going to join Cofield and company in minutes. The schedule gets a little tougher. They've had a couple of days off here. This is a good down week, chance to catch their breath, which I think is the perfect time for this. They've got L.A. tomorrow, which they can get up for and respond to. Now, back to Cofield and company in the Finley Toyota studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, that was interesting. Darren Millard on the show yesterday. Down week, huh? Okay, we'll get into this game with VGK and the Kings in uh, just a couple seconds here is uh, Jim Fox, longtime L.A. King and now the analyst for years and years and years. He's not old, though. Uh, Jim, how are you? It's Steve Cofield here in Las Vegas and ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, Steve, doing great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, I actually wanted to start uh, off the beaten path uh, because you're an athlete in L.A. in one of the coolest times uh, in L.A., and that's when the Raiders were there, what, I think they started in 83-84, um, and then you guys were immensely successful at the end of the decade. The Dodgers were starting to kick ass. The Rams, a little bit south, were really good. What was it like in that era, and what was the Raiders' place in town? Well, it was it was interesting. Actually, I just went to a UFC uh, college football game about a month ago, six weeks ago. And that was the first time I'd been back to the Coliseum since I watched the Raiders play. Wow. So uh, that, that was quite a long time in between. But, no, I mean, uh, you know, they were, they were really good. So it was uh, an easy team to follow at the time. It was something that um, certainly we look forward to watching. And uh, our adopted team uh, to take over, and uh, I think we know where they are now. So uh, yeah. that's the way it happened. I mean, yeah. it was a great, great if I can just, it's weird. 1981 or so, uh, playing at the Forum. Lakers and the Kings locker rooms are basically side by side. <laughs> uh, they're separated by the showers and restrooms and stuff, but their locker rooms, one there, ours is right there. And I go into their locker room after one practice, and I, the, the trainer, Jack, is there. He's just, he just threw away these like, brand-new sneakers. I'm going like, they're, you know. <laughs> so I said, Jack, can I, can I take these things? You know, I mean. He said, sure, go ahead. So I take them, and they're a pair of cream uh, dual Jabbar sneakers. Nice. They worn, but he only wore them, you know, once or twice, and boom, go on to a new pair of shoes. So, wow. so later on, I, I uh, got them signed, and I donated them to a, a local uh, museum, sports museum here. So, I mean, showtime. That's, yeah. that's more than the Raiders. It was showtime. Yes, yes. You, uh, you uh, picked up for me there. I didn't even throw in the Lakers. That was the glory era for the Lakers. Um, you guys are welcome in the Forum Club, right? I've never been to the forum. What? I hear it's really good. I hear it's really nice in there. Wait a second. 
the, the Kings didn't have a an open pass to come in? Uh, you can't see the wing trade now. So <laughs> there you go. All right, Jim Fox is with us. We're getting ready for the Kings and uh, the uh, Vegas Golden Knights tonight over at the Fortress. All right, let's talk about the Kings start first of all. What have they done so well to be this effective on the road? Yeah, it's just getting contributions from basically every forward line and uh, all three pairs. They've been healthy. They haven't had any changes due to the injury. Uh, but they have been getting, you know, everyone says you want to get four lines going, and Vegas does that as well as anyone, as well as anyone. And the Kings have been able to do that. So especially when on the, you're on the road when, you know, you don't get the matchups, you don't get the last change, or you don't even have to worry about those things. You really don't. Tom McClellan really hasn't been able to have to worry about those things because, you know, Kopitar is leading the first line. You got Deneau on the second line. You got Dubois on the third line. You got Lazard on the fourth line. The fourth line is producing with goals. Everyone's doing their, you know, the three defense pairs. Like you say, they, they move around in game situations, but they've all been healthy so far. So you get that type of balance and consistency, and then I think it helps you at any time, but especially on the road. Jim, I've got to ask you about a specific player, Quinn Byfield. He had three assists in the last game against the Flyers. What is it like with the Kings bringing along this young player? Because he's only 21 years old, and it looks like he's starting to come into form. Yeah, he did last year, but production, the numbers didn't follow him that much. Although, you know, he was playing on the Kings' top line like he is this year with Kopitar and Kempe. And, you know, he was a big part of that. And, you know, Kempe had 41 goals to lead the Kings, so he's doing something right there. But he wasn't getting... You know, the points. And this year, that's a big different thing. He's not scoring as much as everyone would want him to, but he's providing primary assists, first assists. He's keeping pucks alive. He's using his body to get in there and make sure the play stays alive so those other guys get a chance to get open. The one thing I noticed so this year more than anything is that he is looking for his shot more. He still has to work on his shot. He still has to get it on net a little bit more, but he's looking for it more. So, when the opposition is trying to defend them, they have to defend him. They can't just, you know, in the past he would defer a little bit to Kopitar and Kempe. Now he is taking it to the net. So when they come to him, now the opening develops. Yeah, good. Could that still be just a young player that's still trying to find his footing in the league and with the team and not so much trying to assert that dominance that we know that, you know, being the number two pick, the team expects him to be a star sooner rather than later? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think any young player... You know, they do defer. They get on the ice and they're looking to make a pass already. Uh, they just want to fit in. Uh, and Quentin is past that now. He's past that part. He, he's past that in his, his maturity, just himself. But he's past that in what the team needs from him. And the team needs him to be uh, more of an impact as opposed to support player. And he's done that. And now it's a matter of continuing that in a consistent manner because so far this season he's been more than good. Let's talk about Kopitar. This could be a big night for him, right, in terms of a milestone? Yeah, you know, coming up on 400, it's, it's, it's weird. We were talking the other day that we, we don't even talk about his scoring because he's known for so many other things. and He's just known for a guy that, that helps you in so many other different ways and never cheats the game, doesn't you know, look for points. He, they just come because he's so naturally talented. So now he's coming up on a league milestone at 400. Uh, you know, all of the money. He's coming up, guys, he's got – with the Kings franchise, he's got milestones coming up. He's got five or six of them coming up. So instead of doing, you know, ceremony for every single one, I'm talking about games played and points and everything. Uh, they're going to wait a little while here until he kind of gets all of them and then have one big night for him. 
Uh, you are not in town, I'm guessing, or are you in town? I know the game's on uh, TNT. I am not in town. I'm in beautiful Redondo Beach, California. Okay, well, I was going to rub it in, but then you, you, you got me before. Redondo's pretty damn, pretty damn nice. I've, uh, I've been down the, uh, the, the bar strip there a couple of times. I've uh, hung out there, so that's a good, a good place. Um, are you a Vegas fan? Not of the team, but uh, of Vegas itself? Uh, I'm not a big Vegas guy. Uh, my wife is. Okay. My wife loves to gamble. Uh, I'm not. If we do, do go, I just try to go to the shows, and, uh, which is they're always great. Uh, a friend of mine, a big, big gambler, Mr. K, he's been on some TV gambling and poker and all that. He, he used to go and take us there and stuff like that. So uh, fortunate enough to have stayed at the mansions at the MGM and, uh, you know, partake that way and uh, through Mr. K. But uh, overall, I'm not a gambler, so I, I leave that to my wife. It's funny that you mentioned the mansion. A lot of people outside of Vegas and I think inside of Vegas have no idea what that is. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Mr. K's room was 10,000 square feet. <laughs> yes. That's a hotel room. Yes, it's kind of exclusive. <laughs> All right, well, give me some of the guys on the Kings that have, uh, you know, they're not Kopitars, but they've impressed early in the yeah. season. Some of the under-radar guys, under-the-radar guys. Well, I think Trevor Moore, he's a local kid here from Thousand Oaks. Uh, he's been with the team now. I mean, you know, he's, he's fifth year with the Kings, so it's not like he's a new guy, but He's really impressed with his explosiveness and producing and things of that sort. Um, I think Byfield, we already talked about. I think a guy like Blake Lozada, again, he centers our fourth line. So anytime you center a fourth line, you're kind of a, you're always going to be a support role player. And I think Blake is that way, but, you know, he's producing and he's got some goals. And Trevor Lewis has some goals. Colin Grunstrom, those are fourth line guys. They have goals. Uh, so they're doing it that way. And, and recently, you know, it's the biggest issue with the Kings, and like many teams, it's a biggest issue, especially in the West, in the Pacific, is the goaltending. And, and Chad Talbot has been really, really good. He's been solid. Uh, and the Kings believe that if they just get average goaltending, that'll be enough for sure to get them in the playoffs. So, so far, it's been above average. It's been actually top 10 in the league, so that's exactly what they want to see happen. Well, these two teams already playing once already this season, and the Kings taking the loss in that first matchup. What are some of the things that they need to do differently tonight to try to get a victory? You know what? We were talking about that the other day, and I, I remember after uh, after the last game, and the next day I was coming into practice, and one of the uh, assistant coaches uh, for the Kings, DJ, uh, he, he was he was talking about Derek Johnson. He, he was talking about you know how well the game was played, like both teams. So, and I kind of said the same thing. We both said the same thing at the same time. We're like, that was a good game last night, and I think the Kings tied it late, and they lost in the shootout. Uh, but you know that's let, let's wait. No. You know, I'll apologize for the pun ahead of time, but, you know, Vegas is still the golden standard right now. <laughs> uh, they are. They're the Stanley Cup champions. Uh, the start they've had is truly amazing. There's been no hangover whatsoever. Uh, but, you know, and the Kings always look at these games as measuring sticks, but the, even before the first game the Kings played uh, the Golden Knights, you know, I mentioned in our open, our broadcast, I was saying, you know, yes, measuring stick, yes, test, but, Kings have got to find a way to make the you know Golden Knights worry about them too. Mm -hmm. you know, worry about the Kings, and I think they did a decent job there. And and that's you know we're still trying to get up to the quality that Vegas has shown. But uh, I think because of that balance I was talking about, uh, so far so good of late. Uh, just been able to to get and expect, and everyone's been responsible for chipping in.
The voice of Jim Fox, longtime analyst of the Kings, played for the Kings. I want to go back to uh, an answer you gave a couple minutes ago about uh, having local players on the L.A. Kings. What do you think of the growth, you know, the last 40 years of hockey in the Southwest, in the West? I know here Bill Foley and the NHL have made so many investments. Uh, we have a new arena going up, um, you know, an ice rink going up in North Las Vegas. We've got one in Henderson out in Summerlin. Uh, they've really bought into the market by spending in the market and, you know, giving kids a chance to go out there and play junior hockey at lots of different rinks. Yeah. Uh, you got two hours? <laughs> I know, right? But, yeah. I played for the Kings from 80 till 90. And, you know, just as I was retiring, Wayne Gretzky had joined us for a couple of years. We can look for all of the formulas. We can look for all the, That's the reason. Yeah. And we can still go back to that original. You know, he was the... He was the guy that started it. There's no question. Uh, he was able to have a crossover type of popularity that we had not seen in hockey. Uh, so I saw it firsthand when I retired from playing. I, I went to the Kings Community Relations Department and, and you know helped form formulate the like Kings Care Foundation, which is you know youth hockey and things of that sort. And, and, and that's what it is. You know what you guys are doing. The Kings are now involved with 11 ice rinks here in Southern California. Wow. Uh, the Ducks have a whole bunch. You guys, you know, it all started with that growth there, but uh, I think we all realize that, you know what, you got to get the skates on. you got to get the sticks in hand. If you can't get the skates on ice, get the rollers on. If you can't get the rollers on, play ball hockey. Just get a stick in some kid's hand out there, boys and girls. And uh, I think that's the way to do it. I think everyone has that as a priority. And I have seen the growth. I've seen it firsthand from coming here when we did not – we. In our youth hockey system here in Los Angeles, we had the Red Wings, we had the Maple Leafs, we had the, the Blackhawks. We never had a Kings team in L.A. We never had a junior, now we have a junior Kings program. And all, so it's grown. It just continued to grow. It started with Wayne and it just you know how we drew everyone to everyone. I remember my wife and I, we were running the first Kings hockey camp that we ran for youth hockey, Kings players. My wife and I had to show kids how to get dressed. I mean, we were actually oh, wow. putting the equipment on them, and that was fine. That was fine with us because get them on the ice. Believe me now, you don't need that. You see the Kings hopping into there with their equipment. They know what's going on, and they've got tons and tons and tons of league for girls, boys, young, old. It doesn't matter, and uh, it's really through the roof right now. Very cool. Well, enjoy the game tonight. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you down the road. Thank you so much. My pleasure, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. There he is, longtime voice of the L.A. Kings. Played for the Kings, Jim Fox, right here on Cofield and Company. Let's do a giveaway right now. Black Crows tickets in early 2024. It's February 9th and 10th uh, at the Palms in the Pearl. Ticketmaster.com is where you can get your tickets. But DeMond's got a pair of tickets right now for the Black Crows. 364-1100. Caller 7. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, rolling on. we got a big Wednesday on the way. Very busy day today as we've got the uh, Barry Odom radio show, you know, the football coaches show, coming up at 5.30. We'll cut out a little bit early, and then that goes 5.30 to 6.30. And then the running Rebels are up against Southern to open their men's basketball season at the same time over at T-Mobile. You'll have the Kings in town to take on VGK. So I would advise everyone leave early so that you're not in the way when I'm racing across town to get to the Rebels game. Can you help me out? 
I'm probably not going to get much help on that one. I think the bigger problem is going to be leaving. I don't know, man. Every you know what? I just I turn on the navigation and wherever it takes me, it takes me because you just don't know every day. You don't know what's going to be happening. Not to complain every day about the traffic because I think that's everyone else's thing, but uh, it's it's crazy. Um, you know when Antonio Pierce moved in for Josh McDaniels, I said that next day that we're now going to have to deal with, and I mean, this is sports radio gold, but it's a long time. Because of the timing, we're going to have to deal with like 10 weeks of speculative bull, you know what, pucky. But I'm in here and there. But the latest speculation, and all this is, is there's a guy, Pete Prisco, I think he's trolling here. But the way he delivers it, bruh, um, he throws out a candidate, and his explanation for why this would work in the NFL and with the Raiders is sort of absurd. I'll throw a name out there. Ready? Prime time. <laughs> How about Deion Sanders? He could be an NFL head coach. It's not that complicated. It's football. Okay. Um, it is complicated because coaches are fired by the half dozen or more every year. Because they overthink it. It is complicated. And the problem with this candidate is Dion can't handle the pressure and the rigors of college football right now as he looks like he's on his way to a 4-8 and eight season. He's acting a bit immature, throwing certain players under the bus. He's also not dealing well with the fact that his son is a star on the team, but he's acting like a Pop Warner coach, right? I better protect my son. Where are you going? Like, wait a second. How about you coach him up? How about your O-line coach coaches him up? Uh, here's a little more of the uh, CBS guy, Prisco, giving his explanation of why Raiders hiring Dion would work. Really is it? Yes. Manage men, manage your staff, allow your coaches to coach, and be good in game situations. That's a problem for a lot of coaches in this True. league, and you know how critical I am of that. If you can do all that and allow your coaches to coach and put a good system in, you can win in this league. Easy! Easy. Do you like this, uh, this idea at all? I would run over to the other side of the building and try to get back on Raider Nation Radio if that happened. To what? Complain about it? No. Really? <laughs> if Dion was the coach, I'm all in, baby. Get out of here. I mean, it'd be entertaining. I think it would last maybe as long as uh, Josh and Dave did. I would even try to get my old job with the Raiders back to be around the team more. Do you actually think he could win? No, not at all. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we'll bring in Caleb Herring, one of our football insiders. Uh, he's an insider on Wednesdays. We'll get into UNLV coming up against Wyoming. Uh, some NFL and plenty of NBA. We have not caught up on the NBA the first couple days of the week, so we'll uh, get into what's going on with the Clippers and Harden and also uh, Clips matchup coming up against the Mavs. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. All right, let's bring him in. Caleb Herring is with us here on this Wednesday. Damon is here. Let's get the fireworks out of the way because uh, I may have some things to fight with you over, Caleb. How you doing, buddy? 
I'm good. Whoa. Should I be ready? I, I didn't bring my gloves. Uh, well, apparently, uh, Damon is now betting based on your uh, game-playing sims. What exactly <laughs> happened here, and why are you betting off of Caleb playing video games? <laughs> it's because it's golden. I have a formula uh, for how I decide my Laker victories. Um, I play the season mode on NBA 2K, the video game on PlayStation 5. I play that season with the Lakers' schedule. And I determine whether or not the Lakers will win based on if I win the simulated version of the game on the video game. I'll say it's not working so far this season, but it really comes down to the crunch time. Like, I, there's things that will pan out. The model will correct itself. Um, and I think the Lakers will adjust their roster management in real life based on what I'm suggesting they should do based on the video game success. I think there's the game has become realistic enough. I think right now the issue is with the Lakers is my shot timing for D'Angelo Russell's three-pointers is better than D'Angelo Russell's real-life shot timing on his actual game. And that's the difference right now between the win-loss percentage. But DeMond's onto something. I'm onto something. I'm telling you, uh, play the odds, and I think I can give you guys some winners if you just trust what I say about the Lakers' win success. What Play the odds. For everybody who didn't listen to the show on Friday, <laughs> Caleb told me that in his simulation, D'Angelo Russell scored 30. So take the over. The over-under was 16.5 points. He had 11. <laughs> Listen, Five like of my I hard-earned said, dollars down the drain. Like I said, you got to just stay with it. There's an 82-game season. I will get you more winners than losers. I think right now my shot timing for D'Angelo Russell is better than D'Angelo Russell's shot timing for himself. You just got to find his rhythm, find the stroke, and then he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Trust me. Stick with me. Mm, okay. Kevin Herring, the former UNLV quarterback, is with us. He'll be hosting the Barry Odom radio show tonight with uh, Coach and the AD, Eric Harper. It's 2.15 and Flamingo. It's the Parkway Tavern. 5.30 start. 5.30 start instead of a 6 o'clock start. All right, you just mentioned uh, the touch, the stroke, whatever other words I was going to transition with, but I already forgot them. Uh, let's talk Jane Maiava, who is, uh, is certainly in the running for freshman of the year in the Mountain West Conference, and now he's starting to hit on deep balls. Man, this guy's playing great. He is. He's playing great. He's improving, I think, is the most important thing. He already had some qualities, and this is going back to when he first committed to UNLV and we first saw him during his redshirt season at practice. He has some, some things that, that wow you would say. If he develops that, he's going to be a problem for years to come in the Mountain West, uh, and he's going to be great for UNLV when the finished product is there. I think that's what's the most exciting about his improvement is that he still has so much time to continue to improve. Uh, as a freshman, doing things like manipulating the pocket the way he does and avoiding sacks uh, while under pressure. Obviously, credit the offensive line for their efforts, but there are times where he is responsible for avoiding, eluding, and extending plays. Uh, he obviously has the arm talent to make every throw. He's shown that throughout the course of the season. Um, and this last game against New Mexico, connecting on the deep ball at a high efficiency um, to multiple receivers downfield. Obviously, Ricky White being his favorite target, but Dominic Jacinto, a name that uh, is not familiar, I guess, to the rotation of the ones and twos um, as far as getting looks downfield, was able to connect as well. And the consistent there, Jade Maiava put the ball on the money and just about every opportunity he had to throw the ball deep. So he's doing great things. And I think the, the most important thing is he's not playing outside of himself. He's staying within the system, realizing the weapons around him are capable of uh, making those big plays, and he's really just being the point guard on the field and distributing the ball whether it's on the handoffs, on the RPOs, or on the deep shots. He's being a ball distributor, and that's what every quarterback at least has to have down as a fundamental. So 
uh, to see him have that understanding early on in his career, the, the sky's the limit as far as how he can continue to progress. Caleb, taking it back to New Mexico, UNLV, I think, were favored by 10.5 points, not so much from a gambling aspect, but when you're favored by, let's say, more than two possessions, are we at that point where we should expect that offense to be explosive, that they're just going to put points on the board when they're facing, I don't want to sound like a pejorative, but inferior competition? I think that's a, a, a good point because a lot of teams – uh, have to overcome sort of becoming the favorite, if that makes sense. Like there's, there's been a time where UNLV was not consistently the favorite or wasn't favored in majority of their games going into them. Uh, how do you handle that success? How do you handle the expectations of being great offensively? Uh, and I think these games like in Mexico where you are favored, uh, you are on the road in what was probably the least hostile road environment you ever have um, as a UNLV team. Can you meet those expectations? And I think that was an example. Uh, if you want to put yourself to a test and manufacture adversity, that was an example. If you're a coaching staff or if you're a fan to say, hey, as the favorite, which we aren't, haven't been historically uh, very often, as the favorite, you went in on a conference game in the road and performed two expectations. And maybe in some cases even exceeded those expectations. So I think there is a certain amount of pride and an amount of accomplishment that you take out of those kind of victories. But, again, transforming the standard to where that is the norm. Being favored and uh, putting up a lot of points is the expected norm, I think, is where you know these next step in that developmental process is. Kickoff 745 on Friday night, a Friday night game here in Las Vegas. Former Rebel quarterback Caleb Herring is with us. Wyoming and UNLV, hard to believe, 7-2 and two against 6-3. and three. And uh, UNLV is now a 5.5-point Favorite. All right, tell me how the Rebels' defense is going to slow down this uh, power-smash-you-in-the-face offense of the Cowboys. I think the <laughs> the locker room answer would be to smash them back. <laughs> the physicality element is, I think, something that Coach Odin's bunch uh, embraces on both sides of the ball, but especially the defense. And they've probably created a narrative around the toughness and the physicality being a challenge that this opponent thinks they're going to win. But I think UNLV has displayed physicality um, at the point of attack uh, throughout the season. In spurts and especially on the defensive side against the run, they've definitely been a physical defense uh, in that regard. So I think that aspect, taking it as a challenge, I think also schematically this defense is built and constructed with the intelligence in game planning to be able to stop runs. And I think because they prioritize stopping the run, They'll dial up a really good formula as far as the scheme and gap assignments and, and dialing up the, the play call tendencies of Wyoming uh, to make sure that the run is stopped. And so I, I anticipate the Rebels come out and start fast in terms of stopping the run and, uh, and, and really try to get Wyoming playing behind the chains and out of their comfort zone and out of that muck that they like to play in offensively to try to slow the, the game down, make it about a physical grind them out type of game. I think UNLV does their best defensively to get the game shifted to more their tempo, more their speed uh, style of game. UNLV 27th in the country against the run, giving up 118 per game on the ground. Wyoming, ooh, whoa, 97th, 175 allowed on the ground per game. Interesting, very interesting. Uh, This is a statement game because I really respect Craig Bowl. I think he's a great coach. You like Bowl? Or do you look at Bowl as kind of a old man playing an old style, like inflexible, has guys transferring out every year, but somehow they get players. They keep getting players. They replenish it. And uh, 
Laramie, Wyoming, Laradice. They get guys from Texas to go to Laradice. That's insane, right? But I think when you play good football and you play authentic football, I, no matter what the age, no matter what the style, I think there's a market for every system. It's just a matter of being realistic about your expectations and being honest and transparent about those. And I think Craig Ball has been that. He's had a brand, and he's recruited to that brand, um, and he's coached to that brand. And everybody who appreciates it, who signs up for it initially, gets exactly what they signed up for. And that's an underrated quality, I think, in coaching. Um, you are what you sold. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's played to his favor for his consistency and his, his tenure at Wyoming and, and the brand of football that they play year in and year out. I don't, I don't dislike the style of football. I think it is a style. It's probably not my preferred style. I'm a quarterback, and we're soft, right? That's what everybody says. We prefer to throw it all around the yard. But uh, the rugged style of play, the physicality of football still exists. Um, and those teams that embrace it have success with it. And I think Craig Bowl and the Wyoming Cowboys are an example of that, and they have been year in and year out in the Mountain West Conference. Caleb, I've got to ask, when it comes to toughness, earlier in the week, Adam and Steve were basically saying you could see in some past UNLV teams that Wyoming just beat them down, and it kind of looked like UNLV just didn't have that toughness to match. But with some tough wins over, let's say, Colorado State and Vanderbilt, has UNLV shown that, hey, they are a tough team that you know that can persevere through those tough times throughout the season? I think they have. I think they've demonstrated that throughout those games that you mentioned. I think they've uh, they've developed a standard internally of physicality and, and rugged play. Uh, Coach Odom has talked about things like not just the physical, actual uh, toughness, but the mental toughness as well. Winning games in the fourth quarter, they've shown that they've gotten over that hump um, as a university for the most part outside of the Fresno loss. They were able to win a couple of closely contested games in the fourth quarter, which is a certain uh, measure of a team's toughness and mental fortitude. Um, and then you see things like the oohs and ahs, the big hits, the uh, the separating man from ball, the physicality at the line of scrimmage, you see those things, uh, and there's plenty of examples across the roster of physicality and toughness. Uh, and I really think that the mindset of a defensive head coach and Coach Odom uh, prioritized in the right ways through practice habits, through developmental processes, through strength and conditioning, I think they implemented toughness uh, with a, a higher emphasis uh, than in years past, let's say. And I think it's shown. I think there's evidence of it on the field through the season, through the games that you mentioned. And I think this game will be an opportunity to, again, prove that this is a physical group that's capable of physically imposing their will on their opponent. If there was going to be a point on, in this game, for because I will be honest, I am not familiar with Wyoming's game. So where could be a point where maybe they do have the edge over UNLV? Well, I think you, you would start with the tight end play. I think – that has been, from what I've watched, um, it's not something that's overly – they don't have Rob Gunkrause here, Travis Kelsey, or some crazy mismatch, but I think the way that they schematically use tight ends is problematic for any defense. Um, and I've been a, a long-standing proponent of tight ends getting more focus in any offense, and I've said that about UNLV, and uh, I'll say that about any offense that I looked at. But Wyoming, I think, does a good job of complementing their attempts to – uh, their deliberate attempts to run the ball with tight end passes, whether it's off play action or creating mismatches in the box, using the tight end as a blocker and a receiver um, in very key moments and uh, strategically placed moments in a game. So I think that will be something to watch out for um, as I'm preparing for this game. 
but I don't think that necessarily I would be worried about UNLV being overmatched in any category versus Wyoming. And that's, you know, for the odds makers and uh, predictors to, to determine. But honestly, I think if UNLV plays their brand of football, there's nothing that Wyoming does that overly concerns me as far as what they present and the challenges that their roster, uh, obviously a talented roster has. I think UNLV should be okay. The Wyoming tight ends have uh, 37 catches combined. That's a lot from that position. All right, a little NBA as we close with Caleb Herring on this uh, Wednesday. Remember, tonight Caleb is hosting the Barry Odom radio show, Barry Odom on the show. Eric Harper, the athletic director of UNLV, will be there as well before he jets over to the first game of the running Rebel season, 215 and Flamingo. Parkway Tavern, happy hours going on right now. Two bucks off beer, wine, and wells. Also uh, half off apps and pizzas at all Parkway Taverns, but especially uh, you can tailgate, you can pre-show and get a bunch of stuff at Parkway Tavern. All right, Clippers and James Harden. Uh, I know DeMond has very high expectations. They let him down against the Knicks. Coming up tonight at the Nets, Friday at the Mavs. What are we expecting here? Do we expect the the addition of Harden to mean like a, a top three seed in the West? What are we looking at? Is it 2015? Oh, no. Uh, I don't see that James Harden in 2023 is the thing that changes the Clippers' destiny. And we're talking about a franchise. First, let me just clarify. You're talking uh, to a lifelong Laker fan here. So I, I hope you didn't expect anything positive to come out of my mouth about the Los Angeles Clippers. I just expect you to be objective, that's all. There's no way. I'm so, I, will, I will take off the badge of objectivity here and set it to the side because we're talking about the Clippers. But in all honesty, I just don't think the formula works. This is a case where an NBA team um, is more interested in acquiring talent than building a team. Um, I think you acquired a talented name, no doubt, with James Harden, a guy that's capable of going for 30 on any given night. He still is that good. Uh, so this, the, the opening joke was not discredit how good he can be as a player. But you've mixed him now with three other players that are ball-dominant players. James Harden, in the last 15 years, is probably one of the most ball-dominant players that the NBA has seen. And that's when he has his best success. That's when he became the beard to be feared, is when he has the ball in his hand. Russell Westbrook, you could say the same thing about him. He's a future Hall of Famer because of a stint in his career when he possessed the ball consistently. Paul George, Paul George, PG-13, a ball-possessing player. Kawhi Leonard, maybe the least ball-dominant player of the bunch, but he also requires a lot of touches. How do you divide one ball among those four? And you, you have the potential, yes, for an explosive, high-powered, high-scoring offense, but how do you share the ball? Who's going to give it up? Who's going to not be the system and play in the system? As James Harden said when he came into the Clippers, he's a system. So are you saying that now Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, who are probably both better than you right now at this point in time, are now just going to have to adapt to your style of play? There's so many different ways that this could go that I'm not confident that this gets the Clippers to any more than a five seed in the loaded West. I just don't see how this move really puts them over the top. And I, I still don't think that, from what I've seen, they're the best team in Los Angeles. Caleb, great job. We'll be listening to the uh, Barry Odom Radio Show in 90 minutes. Have fun. Talk to you later. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good one.